good people, and welcome to Black Women in Wellness, a podcast amplifying the voices of Black women doing the work of wellness in their communities. I'm your host and the creator of this series, Rachel Heath. And today I have an interview with Angel V. Shannon, MSCRNP. Angel V. Shannon is a personal development keynote speaker, board certified nurse practitioner, and founder of Seva Health and the Seva Institute. Her inspiring presentations are drawn from nearly three decades of clinical practice and lifetime study of integrative health and mind-body medicine. Through courses, coaching, community, and radical self-compassion practice, Angel teaches overworked professionals how to break free from burnout and gain the clarity, courage, and confidence they need to design the life they deserve. In 2014, she founded Seva Health, specializing in functional medicine and integrative health for adults and seniors. Drawing again upon nearly three decades of experience in chronic disease care and personal study of mind-body medicine, Angel takes a uniquely integrative approach to preventive health care. Using the tools of functional medicine and mindfulness-based practices, Angel's patients uncover root causes of their conditions, developing strategies that change their lives, not just their symptoms. In addition to managing her busy clinical and coaching practice, Angel is also the host of a podcast called Healthy House Calls with Angel. This podcast is filled with tips, tools, and strategies that help listeners live longer and live better with lifestyle medicine. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Angel V. Shannon with you, so let's get into it. All right, folks, so I'm so excited to be here with Angel, speaking with her about her work in the world of wellness, and uh, I want to welcome you and just get into that first question where you can tell us what it is that you do in the world of wellness. Rachel, thank you so very much. I'm so deeply honored, first and foremost, to be uh, invited to your show and to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm so excited. I am Angel Shannon, founder and executive director of SIVA Health and the SIVA Institute, where I love to say that we put mindfulness and radical self-compassion in action. For nearly 30 years, I've helped my patients, my coaching clients, and just members of my own family and community really redefine what healthcare and wellness really looks like. And I love to say that my work is focused on helping people change their lives, not just their symptoms, because we really do believe at SIVA Health that good health is the very first wealth. I love it. I love all of that. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast. We've had lots of conversations with other guests where, you know, the the common thread is conversation is key, right? Yes. If, if we're not talking <laughs> with our healthcare providers, mm-hmm already we have a problem right we have a problem we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into the details of that a little later <laughs> on in our conversation but um i'm also like curious about your origin story you, you're mm. the founder of save a health now but mm. how did how do we get here maybe let's work a little backwards what did wellness look like for you growing up um mm-hmm. and what kind of motivated you to move into this field So I have to be honest, I had no intention of ever being in healthcare. I literally planned from a very young age to go into law. I really wanted to pursue corporate law. And I was a real nerdy kind of student. So, you know, studying French and taking some advanced courses and whatnot. And that was really my plan. And because I had graduated high school early, had this wonderful boyfriend who thought he knew everything. I figured I can go to college and I can have this boyfriend and I can move out of the house and I can, you know, all the ends. And so like many young women, I took on more responsibilities than I probably should have. Mm-hmm. And through a course of a very interesting events, I had a best friend who said, I think you should pursue healthcare. I think you should go into nursing because I'd finished, you know, a portion of my undergrad. And because of this relationship 
had to put that on hold. And she said, you would love it. You would absolutely love it. It's exciting. She told me about her work in ICU and critical care, trauma and whatnot. She's like, you would love it. You can do this in two years time. And she said, you know, get in a lot of science. You love science. You can do this. And I thought, okay, I've got all these bills because of this relationship, because of all the stuff I didn't listen to from my mom. Let me get in this program and get out. And literally from start to finish, two whole years, graduated with honors and um, went into nursing and went into ICU trauma like she did. And boy, oh boy, it was a real eye opener. It was a real eye opener for me because what was interesting is that I grew up um, in a very holistic household. My mom had six children. I'm the youngest. And, you know, while she very much believes in conventional medicine, she's very holistic. She still is to this day. You know, we grew up on, you know, flaxseed and hibiscus and, you know, elderberry and all kinds of just, my mother really does believe that number one, good health is the first wealth, but also an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Six Mm. kids, you don't have the time nor the interest in running back and forth to the doctor. Right. I also had grandparents who had like five, six acres worth of farm. We went to their house every single summer, deep in the heart of Georgia, rural Georgia, didn't even have their own mail, you know, post office. And I learned on that farm some really, really good things about life, about, um, you know, climate action long before there was a thing called climate action about sustainability, about eating clean, about growing your own food and whatnot. So what I was seeing in the intensive care unit in the ER was the direct opposite of the way I had grown up you know, Mm -hmm. people with really poor health and, you know, just bad healthcare decisions as a result of misinformation and whatnot. And I knew that just was not how I wanted to do healthcare. It just was not. Um, Health disparities, just the list a mile long. And I knew that a better way was possible. Um, And still, even today, almost 30 years into this, I do believe a better way is possible. So I had to create what I wanted healthcare to look like, because there was really no model for what I'm doing now and what I wanted to do. So it was about, hey, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to have to create it and build it from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm curious to know what that transition was like for you from being in kind of this very traditional healthcare model as an ICU nurse to moving into this model that you feel and and I would say I feel as well and many of us in the wellness world feel is more representative of what healthcare should look like. Mm-hmm. Um what was that transition like for you and and what was the process of kind of getting it started? Mm-hmm. Great question. So, you know, when you don't have a model for something, there is no right and wrong, right? You just go in the direction of, you know, first being guided by intuition, second being drive, uh, uh, guided by a sense of purpose. And for me, that purpose really was very community oriented. I wanted something that was all about, you know, community engagement and accessibility for those who do not have or did not have um, reasonable access to healthcare. And so I knew going in that I wanted to be a decision maker. I wanted to be able to write the prescription for what I knew the person needed or not write the prescription and say, let's try this, that, or the other. The problem is that for years and years and years, there was no such thing as a nurse practitioner in many states. You know, that was a that's that's a relatively new development in the in in nursing, advanced practice nursing. Now there were midwives for years and years, but they were lay midwives and things like this. And even midwives were accepted um, into into insurance plans and things like this long before those of us who are in primary care. And so the idea of being able to open your own clinic, write prescriptions, diagnose disease, treat disease, all this. It didn't even exist. It was illegal. So I had to think about 
you know, what am I going to do that's as close to that as possible? Or am I just going to lean into that and maybe, you know, design this some alternative way? Ironically, when I made the decision that this is what I really do have to do, and if I have to work under a physician, then I'll just have to do that. Maybe I'll find someone who's really nice and, and can buy into what I'm talking about, or I'll, I'll just teach, right? So I entered the program, you know, 20 years into my career, or maybe 15, entered the program. And what's really interesting is timing is everything, because when I graduated here in the state of Maryland from University of Maryland School of Nursing, that was the year that our governor signed the legislation that um, eliminated a collaborative practice agreement. So we went from this like 30 page agreement between nurse practitioner and physician to just this one document that just said, this person's being hired, they'll be working for you, blah, 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 doing this little short list of things. The following year, the new governor was elected and that disappeared. And we have now in Maryland and in several other states, independent practice authority. So it was just a confluence of events that led to my being able to be independent, design this clinic front to back, and then expand into the, the teachings through the Seva, uh, Siva Institute um, as it is now. So it really has just been timing. And then, as I said, leaning into what I knew I wanted to do and just trusting that um, the universe, if you will, will conspire <laughs> to bring that to pass. Yeah, for sure. And and it's it's so beautiful how that timeline lined up. But I'm I'm curious because you know, you you had started on a path that traditionally many black women enter into, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have an aunt who's a nurse. I probably mm -hmm. have several cousins who are nurses. Mm -hmm. But this idea that you're going to move from that space of a role that a lot of people see as an assistant role, right? Mm -hmm. And to the space of, I am in charge, I am running the show, mm -hmm. you know, when, when Black women start doing that, people start getting a little itchy. Yes. And so I'm wondering <laughs> what your experience was like as a Black woman saying, you know what, I don't think this is the way we should be doing things. I mm -hmm. want to do it this way because I think this is the best way. Mm -hmm. Did you have any pushback from folks or were you received well? Mm -hmm. how, did, how did that look for you? So in the hospital system, absolutely. You know, this is not the place, you know, I've worked for, I don't want to call names, but I'm here in Baltimore. And if you know some of the leading institutions of medicine here um, who have global reach, you know, that was one that I worked for. And if it's not one of their studies, it doesn't exist. If we're not talking about something that you know, they funded and have solid evidence to back it up that it doesn't exist. So all of my holistic meditation to lower blood pressure and teaching and all of this, it was met, and it still is, you know, it's met with such disdain that, oh, you know, well, that, that there's no evidence to that. So it doesn't become standard, right? So it takes a certain amount of emotional, you know, fortitude to say, to, to first trust in what you know is right, and, you know, to push back against that and go your own direction and to know, let's, let's be honest about it because I'm fully self-employed to trust that there are people who will pay for those services. How is this going to, you know, there's one thing to have a great idea, a great business idea, but the question is, are you meeting the market at the right time as well? So thankfully here in, in my area, there are people who are very trusting and very willing to um, to, and now, I mean, this is 12 years ago that I, that I started this, you know, with my nurse practitioner journey. Now people have fully bought into integrative health, holistic health, wellness, and whatnot. It's, it's much easier now than it was that long ago, but you're absolutely right. Major pushback. Um, if it's not rooted in science, it doesn't exist. And I knew enough from my childhood you know, I had the benefit of my childhood. And not only that, I've got, there isn't one room in my house that does not have books. And one common theme you will see is a book on herbs, on nutrition, on the, I mean, everything in this house is 
you know, rooted in health and wellness. And so I knew enough on my own from my own personal study that what I am talking about is valid. And I trust that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, as health and wellness continues to evolve, we have better tools. We are, I think in the Western world, we have this very prescriptive idea of what health looks like. And we're starting to see that we don't know everything Mm -hmm. and that it's okay to look at how other people are taking care of each other. And it's also, as you said, it's integrative health. It's not, I'm going to stop seeing my general practitioner and just come see you. We all work together in this space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's evolved quite a bit, but I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, you've been doing this for many, many years Mm -hmm. and from, you know, several different purviews, how would you like to see it grow in the future and evolve and and maybe even be more inclusive? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, I would love to see in the ideal world, insurance paying for services, for needed services, you know, services that we are absolutely clear are beneficial to folks, right? So we're talking about things like nutritional, you know, consultations, not needing to, you know, have someone lose 50 pounds before we say, oh my gosh, there's something wrong here. Let's get a nutritionist on board. So insurance reimbursement for much more than what they're currently reimbursing for would be fantastic. But in the absence of that, what I'd also like to see is people become more willing to invest in their own personal health and well-being because let's face it you have a car you buy a car off the you know off the lot 3 months down the road 6 months down the road you need an oil change insurances don't pay for oil changes you've got to do that and you'd never drive down the road and let your oil you know get depleted in your your thing there and uh, blow your engine, right? So it's the same concept. There are things that you do have to invest in for your personal health and well-being, whether it be yoga classes, uh, you know, nutrition, supplements, things like this. I'd like to see people be more engaged in their healthcare and take a more integrative team-based approach. It's really high time that we move away from just having one person as the go-to and gatekeeper for our health and well-being. I don't care how long you've been going to this physician, doctor, nurse practitioner, whoever it is, they're one person. They don't know everything. They can't know everything. So I'd love to see a more team-based approach uh, take place for people and start thinking about building a team of professionals to help them manage their health and wellness. Oh, I love the sound of that. And and every time I think about it, it just gives me chills because a lot of what I've seen in, in healthcare with family members is they have different folks that are doing different things for them, mm-hmm. but none of them are working together. Right, right. <laughs> so it's chaos. Right, right. You it's know? chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's chaos. people's lives that are at stake with, within that chaos, which is... <laughs> it is. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I want to make one point too that you had asked earlier about what the pushback was. And I have to say, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a lot of pushback from my own community of African Americans because some of us can be very, very conservative. Conservative yeah. in the sense that this is what we always did. I always we always went to doctor such and such. Or, you know, grandma went to him and you know, mama went to him and this and this. And yep. you know, I'm looking at these records and I'm thinking to myself, do you know that you have kidney failure? Do you know that you have diabetes? I don't see you on any medications. When's the last time you had a DEXA scan, a bone scan, your your postmenopausal? Have you had that checked? No screenings, colonoscopy. What happened to that? You know, yeah. but we we all go to doctors such a I'll never forget a very humiliating moment when I was doing house calls at the very beginning of opening my practice. And I'd gone to this uh, assisted living here in this, in uh, Baltimore. And I was going to be having an on-site, you know, day there that I'd be providing services and screenings and the building owners were just on fire for it. The managers, they thought this is great community-based right here. We had a presentation and I came with my things and slides and whatnot. And those folks looked at me like I had dropped out of the sky. And mm -mm, 
I'm not interested in nothing that she's offering. If I need something, I'm going over to the emergency room and that's where I go. And so that was what they were saying is that they felt that, listen, when I need healthcare, I'm just going to go to the emergency room. That's it. Yeah. And, and that kind of leads into my next question because, you know, this this idea of caring for ourselves in general, I think, is something that our community struggles with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, outside of when you have a major health event, like, say, a heart attack or a stroke, this idea of preventative health care, this idea of holistic health care, mm-hmm. it's like... Mm-hmm. Nobody has time for that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, as a healthcare provider who sees the effects of that neglect, what what can we say to folks in our community? How can we draw them in to, to seeking out these services so that they're not waiting until something catastrophic happens mm-hmm. to get help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It starts with basic primary care. There are so many people who don't even have basic primary care right now, you know, because they're so used to going to urgent care and emergent care. So I I really like to just start with, you know, I personally do a lot of education, like on my socials and newsletters, things like this, just to sort of get that drip knowledge out there that these are the standards. These are the, you know, even on my podcast, I talk about you know, the standard of care. These are the things that you should be looking for and the basic screenings you should be having. These are the conversations, like what we're having right now, just normalizing conversations around health. We've come a long way as people of color. We really have. We're talking about mental health in ways we've never talked about mental health. We're talking about colon cancer and prostate health and, you know, things like this and reproductive health in ways that we've never, ever talked about these these things. So I'd say kudos to us that we are moving in the right direction. We've got to keep doing what we're already doing. And we have to be in positions of leadership. We have to be in positions of leadership at the table when decisions are being made about our communities funding for our for resources in our communities not just hospitals and tertiary level of care you know acute care but also community based programming and access to um, community based healthcare yeah, for sure. And and just thinking about, you know, ideas of leadership, I want to come back to your role at, at with SAVA. Mm-hmm. If, if you were having a conversation with some young Black women who are mm-hmm. like, I love what you're doing and I want to get involved, like what advice would you give them for stepping into this space that you're working in? You mean involved as in professionally? That, 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 yes. That, hey, I want to do what you're doing? Yes. So here's what I say. I say, first and foremost, before you do, before you decide to not do something, understand why you're not doing it, right? So my education in conventional medicine is absolutely priceless. Go the route of knowing how the body works, know the science. You know, one of the, 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 the dangers that I'm seeing nowadays is people are doing a lot of self-teaching. And while there's val- validity in that, I think we really do have to stick with the science. We are people who can ill afford to be misinformed, right? We just cannot afford that. So knowing how the body works, whether that be through, you know, a two-year educational program, four-year doctorate level, whatever the case may be, understand the absolute indisputable science, right? And from there, then it's easier to branch off into alternatives or complementary approaches or integrative approaches. I'd love to see, I'm seeing, you know, the unfortunate thing that I'm seeing a lot of, especially in social media spaces, viral tweets about take this for this or do this for that. And their things just aren't rooted in any kind of science at all. And science is not proprietary, right? We all, science is occurring in our body. So we don't have to think of it as oh, well, I don't want to do that because that's, you know, white establishment or what have you. If that's the case, find an HBCU, go somewhere that you can get a solid foundation of the science first. That's my, that's my thing. 
Yeah. And I, I think that is sage advice. And, you know, I, I want to go back to what you mentioned about folks being on social media, kind of perpetuating these ideas of if you take this, it'll cure this, that we see a lot of that in the wellness world. Yes. And we see a lot, we, we saw even more of it around COVID. We saw even more of that after um, Roe v. Wade was overturned and folks were had all sorts of <laughs> advice yes. about how you mm-hmm. could get do an abortion from home. Yes. And, and those are very dangerous things dangerous because we don't we don't have discernment a lot of times when we're on social media we're not looking to see if this person is a medical professional is actually providing as you said science-backed information Mm -hmm. or (laughs) if they're just someone who saw another piece of bad information and they're just repeating that right Yes. yes so in the interest of not giving bad information, <laughs> let's talk about some of the things that are happening in the world right now. Um, yeah. as, as you know, the big two that are coming to mind for me are, are continued vigilance around COVID and mm-hmm. also, you know, what's happening with Roe v. Wade, Wade mm-hmm. and, you know, so many reproductive health so much reproductive health access being taken away. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe we can talk a little bit about your knowledge around those things and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, any suggestions that you have for folks that are seeking information? Sure, sure. You know, so much in that, you know, that you just said, um, Rachel, and I have the, you know, I think back to when I was a teenager, you know, 15, 16, and had the luxury and the privilege of access to Planned Parenthood. You know, it was just a, it was a safe harbor, you know, for us as teenage girls. You know, I use services at Planned Parenthood for, you know, reproductive health, birth control, condoms, basic education about my body. You know, again, I come from a family, six children, my mom, you know, she did the very best that she could raising us, but we didn't have a lot of conversation about what, you know, a menstrual cycle should look like, or, um, you know, what is a clitoris? What is orgasm? What is that supposed to be breast enlargement or engorgement or whatever? We just didn't have that. I'll never forget reading my sister's copy of Our Bodies Ourselves, you know, in my room with a little flashlight and like, whoa, that's what that is. And that's what where the babies come from. So I say that to say that we are living in some really, really critical times right now. You know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade couldn't be more upsetting to me and it couldn't be more tragic because we truly do need that foothold. We need those, those sources of care and safe harbors for, I mean, let's just face it, there are many, many reasons um, or many, many things that can happen that can result in a pregnancy not to mention an unwanted pregnancy, rape, you know, incest, all kinds of things. And to me, you know, again, getting back to the science, what's so tragic about this is that those who are in decision-making position, i.e. Supreme Court, are not looking at or paying attention to the science of why reproductive health services matter the the context there's so much nuance involved and it's not just about you know young girls being promiscuous or even you know incest and rape there's a whole other side to it you know i've had to be personally on birth control pills after you know childbearing you know uh years or whatever because of heavy bleeding, because of menstrual, because of fibroid issues. There are many, many reasons a woman may need to be on, you know, oral contraceptives. And then now what we're seeing even more tragic is people, men and women being refused medications that could possibly, you know, have a, um, have, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, cause miscarriage or what have you. These are life preserving medications. These are people who have different cancers, things like this, that need autoimmune diseases, who need these medications. And truth be told, there isn't a medication in the PDR that is not a risky medication 
for women or pregnant people in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, you take too much Tylenol, you can have liver failure, right? You take yeah. too much ibuprofen, you can go into kidney failure. So, I mean, truth be told, if that's the case, then where are we going with this? It does very much feel like more of a witch hunt than it does mm-hmm. um, a, a place of support. And I, I think what a lot of people forget about Planned Parenthood is that they do more than just abortions. Right. Reproductive health care for folks who cannot, who don't have insurance, who cannot afford to go mm-hmm. to <clears throat> see a, a gynecologist for young people who need mm-hmm. access and may not necessarily be able to have that conversation with their parents. And, you right. know, there's so many different services that are now in jeopardy because of this decision. And I'm wondering, you know, again, what what folks can do to, if nothing else, be well-informed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I always believe that you know, we come out in the droves, well, let me just say we as in Americans, those in the States, we come out in the droves for the major elections, presidential elections and things like this. But we really do have to get back to that community-based approach. We need to be going to our school board meetings. We need to know who's the county executive, county council. We need to know what's going on in our own communities first and foremost. We have to be present and active and engaged at the community level. And we need all hands on deck. I'm a medical professional, you know, um, healthcare professional, those from different walks of life, different backgrounds, we've got to be in conversation with each other and we've got to be in community. And I really do think that we can solve more together than we can apart individually. It's going to take more than just voting. You know, everyone's, Mm -hmm. oh, well, we have to vote and this and that. But, you know, ultimately you're voting for people who have ideas, mm-hmm. right ideas. You're not voting for implementation. Implementation is when we come out to community meetings and say, okay, now that you're elected, this is what we're gonna be holding you accountable for because, right. th- because it's the legislation that has to change from the ground up. And in terms of being you know, properly informed, if folks are on social media, Vet your resources, you know, vet your sources that you're getting information from. Don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. Even things that you think are funny, that you're resharing on social media, just know that on the other end of every post is probably a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old who's going to take what you're posting as fact. When you think it's just funny, someone on the other end of that post is likely going to be making a decision. And I make the argument that all policy is healthcare policy. We get into the talk about, oh, this is transportation. This is climate. This is this. There isn't one piece of policy, whether it's the United States, UK, Europe, Africa, wherever, all policy is healthcare policy because transportation impacts people's ability to earn a living wage. Yep. That's healthcare. Climate impacts how much you know uh, uh, you know electricity people use and consume. Right, it, it affects their their physical health, their mental health. Mm-hmm. That's health policy. You know, roads, bridges, and tunnels. I mean, all of it. There isn't one piece of policy that does not impact your health at the end of the day, your livelihood, your sense of well-being. So I say that we have to begin to look at every policy as health policy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it it comes back to that holistic understanding of how everything works, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as you said, just a policy about climate change. It's also a policy about how we use land, how we get food. Yes. How we have access. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And soil, you know, just basic soil health. (laughs) Soil, water, air, that that all affects health. And so, you know, within this kind of melee, you have SEVA. And I yes. want to talk about what SEVA does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd love if you would, you know, give us some information about what SEVA is, what kind of services you offer, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and even where you're located yes. <laughs> so that people can find you. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. The beauty of the practice now, you know, we started off with, I always say we, I, we, because it's me and, and 
my higher power. But we started off as, um, you know, with a focus, a solid focus on providing services for adults and seniors. Seniors are at the heart of my practice because I truly believe that for people who have worked so hard all of their adult life, they deserve to live their final years with dignity and grace. So we provide a lot of services for seniors on location, but the nuts and bolts of the practice is uh, integrative health and lifestyle medicine for adults and seniors. The practice, physical practice is based in Pikesville, Maryland, which is Baltimore County. We were doing telehealth long before there was a telehealth. So we started doing that just as a way of helping the adult children of these seniors who were trying to manage all of their healthcare needs, didn't have time to take off to go to the doctor every five minutes. So we put telehealth in place that was way back in 2015 or so, just as a means of keeping conversations fluid, being able to understand, okay, I prescribed this for your mom when I saw her, I need you to get this kind of blood pressure cuff. I'd heck, you know, hold it up and show people you know, what that would look like and whatnot. Since COVID has happened and telehealth has been expanded, we're now offering telehealth services in every regard, but it's focused on integrative health and lifestyle medicine, as I said. So lots of primary care, a lot of mental health, as you can imagine. And again, I provide integra um, integrative mental health services. So what does that mean? It means meeting the best of Western medicine with the best of Eastern medicine and using a mindfulness-based approach to that. So for medication management services, for, health, for you know, uh, mental health services, we use the telehealth option to provide care. So we've grown a lot, as you can imagine. And now, as I said, we've grown to the point that we're able to provide services pretty much all around the world, um, particularly for those who are not using insurance. A lot of the work now is um, expanding into the coaching realm. So again, teaching, teaching all of this integrative medicine to a broader audience, no matter where they are in the world, how can I, what, what is gut health? You know, what do I need to do to clean up my gut? How does that even impact my hypertension? I do a lot of teaching in that regard and a lot of coaching um, to bring these services to a bigger audience. Yeah, thanks for that. And and I'm wondering if you could tell us what a typical day looks like for you. <laughs> People ask that all the time. So um, you'd asked me earlier, like, what was the impetus? What sort of got me here? Um, and I want to dial back to that because I want to pull that in together here. I was working five days a week in a clinic, um, very traditional clinic, uh, eight o'clock a.m. to punch out at 5 p.m., and of course the schedule was packed, seeing patients every 15 minutes, 25 patients a day or so. And I said, you know what? I can't do this. I did not go back through graduate school. I did not collect $50,000 worth of student loans to be living like this. And one thing that's important to me is I am everything that you see. What you see is what you get. I don't put on any airs, pretend to be something, doing meditation. I always say, you know, you don't have to worry about practicing what you preach if you only preach what you actually practice, right? So in that environment, I decided I cannot live like this. I cannot be getting home at eight o'clock at night, being up all night, doing paperwork, working on the weekends, doing labs and writing prescriptions and whatnot, started the practice. So now my life looks like this. I don't work on Mondays. I see patients on Tuesdays, uh, Wednesdays, and Fridays only. Thursdays are my coaching days that I do coaching and, and, and educational development for the SAVA Institute. So I am doing a lot of uh, content development for that. Um, on Thursdays, Mondays are for me. <laughs> Mondays are for me. I'm committed to somatic practices and body work. So I'm usually either doing some acupuncture or getting, you know, massage or things like this. I'm a uh, master gardener, so I'm always out in my garden. So I really do have to live this life if I'm going to teach this approach. So that's kind of how my life is set up. Um, 
Yeah. And a typical day, you know, those clinical days, they're long. You know, I start early and end late, but they're Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And I think that's more than enough for the clinical side of the work that I do. Yeah. And to leave room for the other parts of my life that matter. Yeah, for sure. And and I was just going to ask you, you know, what's your self-care look like? But it sounds like a big practice for you has been placing those very clear boundaries around your yeah. time and your energy. Um, and, you know, thinking about how important it is for us to to find that balance. I'm wondering, you know, what advice you have for someone who may be where you were right? <laughs> <laughs> to be able to get to where you are, because it sounds yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tara Brock, uh, who's a psychologist, wrote a book um, called Radical Compassion. I believe that's the name of it and Radical Acceptance. And in the introduction, she writes about an experience she'd had with her mom and some, and just in general, just difficult emotions. And I love how she describes, she says, you know, when difficult emotions arise, I realized that I had to love myself into healing. You know, I had to love my way to healing and compassion, self-compassion was that pathway for her is, you know, and for me, when I think about self-compassion. I, I call it radical self-compassion and I'm actually developing a, a course on this. That radical word is so crucial. Radical means, you know, I have to do this. You know, it means I'm not, you know, I, you, it, like firm boundary, the ring of fire around yourself, that this is what you have to have to pre preserve yourself. And so for me, radical self-compassion is about, you know, meditation and mindfulness is about self-awareness. Where am I? What's happening in my world? What's around me? You know, present moment awareness. But self-compassion is all about what do I need? What do I need? And it's, it, and it's, it's a little different than self-care because it's more of those internal, you know, feelings. It's, it's less of the doing and more of the experiencing. What do I need to experience in this moment? How can I extend grace to myself? How can I just say, you know what? It's nine o'clock. I've done all that I could do for the day. Tomorrow's another day. You know, one of the things I, I really did struggle with was what I call enoughism, never feeling like I was doing enough. You know, oh, let me just, you know, if I just give more of this, or if I just add this or that, and free, doing a lot of things for free, you know, coming over here to speak for free and doing that for free and whatnot. And I was just running myself ragged in the name of building this business. And I don't like to use the word brand, but if you want to use that term, but getting that out there. And I had to pull back on that and realize, Angel, you're enough. You are more than enough. What you're offering to the world is enough. Comparatively speaking, which I don't like to get involved in comparison, but comparatively speaking, you know, you're doing an awful lot, you know? And so that's what I say is, is get yourself into a self-compassion practice, whether that be through journaling, through yoga, you are a yoga uh, therapist and instructor yourself, you know, the tools of yoga, you know, it yeah. is such medicine. My goodness, yoga is good medicine. If I could only pick one thing for the rest of my life that I could do, you going with yoga? Be, I'm going with yoga, and I mean yeah. the whole yoga, not just you know asana practice, but yeah, the whole picture. It is of yoga. A, a very, it it is a holistic practice as well. It it covers it covers everything. It covers everything. But I I love what you said about that. Um, what do you need? Because I think sometimes when we talk about self-care, people feel like they have to do what everybody else does. Yes. And you may not need that. Right. <laughs> so having that real like close connection to self and understanding mm -hmm. of yourself that maybe what you need is to take a nap, take a walk, go out to eat instead mm -hmm. of obliging yourself to cook, yeah. sit and stare at the wall for five right. minutes. Yeah. Um Whatever and maybe you, you need, need something, right. And maybe you need something from other people, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm in my job, I'm feeling frustrated, angry, such and such. Tap into what is it that you really need? Maybe you yeah. need to be validated. Maybe you need to be heard. 
Maybe you need to be, you know, uh, um, included. Maybe this is an environment that is not inclusive. So that's all part of self-compassion practice too, is what do I need from self, but what do I need from others? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. And always, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. It should be easy. It, it should, should feel be. good it when you're good. you're doing this thing to care for yourself. Yes. Um, yes. So we're coming towards the end, Angel. I don't know how <laughs> we got here, but <laughs> but and I always feel like I could just keep talking, and then I remember yes. it's like I I have I have to end the interview. <laughs> um, but in, instead of asking you another question, which I can I can always think of one, I'm wondering if there's a question you wish people would ask you. Oh boy, a question I wish people would ask me is how do I, and you probably already asked it, how do I live longer and live better? What do I need to do to live longer and live better? What are the secrets to longevity and really, really good health? to radical self-compassion. You know, I, I want people to ask me questions that are rooted in wellness and not mm-hmm. in disease and dysfunction, because a lot of times we're driven toward, you know, all of that as opposed to a more optimistic outlook on life. Right. So yeah, what are the keys to longevity, to long life and good health and prosperity? Uh-huh. I did not ask you that question. <laughs> um, and and I, I, I feel I feel a little um <laughs> I feel like I would be asking you a lot if I <laughs> if I asked you to answer all of those questions. But I wonder, you know, if you had to give one thing um that you felt like was a key to longevity, what would it be? Joy. Okay. Joy. Deep, deep, deep radical joy Mm. because there's a physical change in your body when you have joy and it's different from happiness when you have that sense of inner joy because joy is tied to peace Mm. when you feel peaceful that whole body is relaxed that nervous system is relaxed that gi system is relaxed that immune system is relaxed joy you have to find what brings you joy mm-hmm. and joy is through community, good food, learning, growing, growing this, this person that you are and remember what a gift it is to be a human. You know, when you look around this planet at all the other living things, the plant kingdom, animal kingdom, they don't have the power of discernment higher thinking, decision-making. We have the gift of being able to make a decision. We can change a thought just like that. Just like that, you can change the course of your life with one thought. That's higher mind. That's a gift. It's such a gift to be able to be, to have this human experience. And so I say that to tap into what it means to truly be human. Yeah. that's the key that was that was a word I, I i have i have nothing to add on to it i think that's a beautiful way for us to to end our interview and you know the only other thing i'll ask is you know what are you working on right now where can people find you so that they can get more of this <laughs> I want women to check me out in two places, people, women in two places, one www.sivahealthgroup.com. That's the website. But two, I am growing an intentional community of women who want to live longer and live better with lifestyle medicine, who want to bust the burnout, get off of that road of, you know, just going and going and going and doing and doing and doing. That is at www.getfitandfunctionalforlife.com membership community. We are growing, learning everything we need to learn about just integrative health, lifestyle medicine, 
stress reduction. It is a beautiful community. We have events, we have book circle, writers and readers circle, just good yoga, <laughs> just good stuff going on in that community. So those would be the two places I'd say, check me out. And on the website, you'll see links to my podcast and other things that I'm doing, but those would be, and if you happen to be on LinkedIn, you can look me up on LinkedIn too, because I'd love to be connected to more women and black women in wellness for sure. Fantastic. And we will have all of those links in the show notes, folks, as per <laughs> usual. So please make sure you check the show notes and you connect with Angel. You, you've heard all of the wisdom here. It just, it, it, keeps getting better i i can't thank imagine you. that it does anything but get better so please do reach out to her um thank and you. thank you so much for being on the pod it thank was a pleasure. you pleasure invitation thank you so much looking forward to staying in touch <laughs> awesome awesome That was such a great conversation. Angel has so much just wonderful wisdom to share, not just about clinical practice and holistic practice, but I just feel like I learned a lot about how to live my best life from that conversation. And I hope that there were some things that you all were able to take away from it as well. And please do check out the links in the show notes so that you can get a little more angel in your life check out her podcast and also check out the work that she is doing with the Save It Institute. Um, just always so heartened to see Black women like her out there doing that wellness work in the world. That's what it's all about. Um, and before I sign off, folks, I will say that due to what's happening in the world with reproductive health and um, this overturning of Roe v. Wade, it is, it is still humming on my heart. And I am really wanting to have conversations with Black women who are working in, you know, the trenches and reproductive health. Uh, and so if that fits your description and you'd like to be on the pod, please do reach out. Um, if you are a wellness worker and you'd like to be on the pod, you can always reach out. Um, but I'm specifically really wanting to talk to Black women who are working in reproductive health right now. Um, and so uh, you can always reach me uh, at blackwomeninwellness at gmail.com um, for wanting to be on the pod or any or wanting to contribute to our blog or, or any other inquiries that you have. And until next time, good people, be safe and be well. <laughs>